0: This is a Barclay Damon Live broadcast. You're listening to The Cannabis Counselor, and I'm your host, Elise Bergio. Let's get into it. What's up, everybody? This is episode 21 of The Cannabis Counselor, and today we're here with Perry Salzhauer. He is the owner of Greenlight Law Group, which is a law firm in Oregon and in Washington and soon to be New York State. And we're going to talk about cannabis specialization for lawyers and what we've seen in Oregon and the West Coast and what could happen in New York. Stay tuned. Harry, thank you so much for joining us for episode 21 of The Cannabis Counselor. How are you today? I'm doing great.
1: I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I think, you know, uh, my wife and I just welcomed our first child into this world a few weeks ago. So we're we're doing great. Just kind of living on, living on cloud nine here for a little while.
0: I know. I snagged you after having a three-week-old baby. I apologize. But... Time is of the essence. I'm kidding. I probably could have waited a week, but I still wanted No,
1: no, it's fine. It gives gives everyone him an excuse to nap and me an excuse to
0: uh, nap. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so for those listening and watching, um, Perry is a uh, owner of Greenlight Law Group, which is out in Portland, Oregon. They have offices in Washington and are continuing to to expand across the U.S., but they were also my first employer coming out of uh, law school and moving over to Oregon, and so I thought it'd be a great idea to bring Perry on and for us to talk about the differences between, um, you know, where Oregon is, where we anticipate to see New York, and just kind of an outline of this this odd period we're in, which is we don't have rules and regulations yet, we have legislation, what are we going to do now? Um, What are we waiting for, and what can operators and people looking to enter into the industry kind of anticipate Uh, in the next 18 months. So Perry, do you want to tell us a little bit about Greenlight Law Group?
1: Uh, Yeah, sure. Um, Like Elise said, um, we formed in 2015. uh, So right when um, marijuana was legalized through measure 91, Um, we had, uh, we started out in Portland. Now we all have offices in Portland, Medford, Seattle, and uh, soon to be uh, in New York. Um, We, do we, uh, we're, we're basically a full service law firm servicing the, the cannabis industry. Um, we used to say the only things we don't do uh, are tax and IP, um, but now we do IP, some limited IP, um, and we still don't do tax. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, we represent both, uh, you know, companies, individual investors, um, licensees, uh, folks who contract with licensees, you know, sometimes just employees of licensees um, the, the whole gamut. Um, we just effectively, we're just a full service business law firm, but, uh, we have a significant amount of expertise in cannabis, um, in several different jurisdictions. And we, we work in, uh, Washington, New York, Florida, Texas, um, uh, Maryland, California. Yeah. there we
0: go. So, you know, back in 2015, 2016, uh, when we were kind of, kicking it off a lot of the work that we did was applications and licensing mm-hmm. and getting people going which is kind of i think where we are right now for new york we don't necessarily have the rules and regulations yet but kind of similar steps which is looking for real estate looking at local uh, opt-out provisions and right. um kind of getting people's companies up in order for purposes of like forming their their uh entities and their agreements and things of that nature um since that infancy, where do you think cannabis has has led itself in the last five years for you guys in Oregon? Um, you know, are you still condensed in the in the marijuana space, or has it moved into more hemp related? Um, and those businesses that we're all applying, where do we where do we see them now?
1: Well, um, I think we're starting to see a bit of uh, you know some maturity in the industry, both from the industry participant side and also. Uh, from the regulator's perspective. Um, And I think, you know, maybe you remember when we first started out, um, you were exactly correct, you know, 90 to 80% of our work the first year as a firm was uh, business formations, you know, organization and capitalization of businesses. But I don't know if you remember, we, we joked that there would be in year three, uh, all of the uh, business breakups and the litigation associated with that. Truth is, we did, in fact, see that. <laughs> um, no, absolutely. And uh, and after that sort of years five to six now, we're seeing um, sort of a leveling out. And we are still seeing new participants entering the industry. But um, there's a uh, an increased level of sophistication from people who are coming into the industry now. Um in 2015, it was really you know anybody. I I, I grew up in New York. You know uh, anybody with a, a a piece of property and a dream uh, could apply for a license. Um, and you know I don't know if you might remember. You know a lot of folks um, had some really really uh, overly complicated ideas about how they wanted to capitalize. Their businesses, um, you know, not ever really understanding what a security is, uh, you know, trying to find investors. And a lot of, a lot of the first year, I think, was tempering expectations, right? I mean, there was this idea, mm-hmm. um, like I said, you know, I have some, I own a farm, I have some experience growing in my basement or my backyard. I'm going to raise two million dollars from these strangers who Craigslisted me. That's a little thing back then. do to remember, uh, mm-hmm. and then and then we're gonna we're gonna build a spigot in the back, and it's gonna spew cash. And then a year from now, we're all gonna retire. You know, I think everybody knows that's not how it happened. Um, but you know, and you know, I think the necessary, you know, phase two, like I joked about, was a lot of those businesses are not around today anymore, or they are, exist in a different form. Um, turns out. Uh, that maybe going into business with your best friend or your cousin's wife's best friend, um, you know, where you have to each invest half a million to two million dollars, it's not maybe the best idea. Um, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of um, you know uh, intercompany litigation. A uh, you know, couple, couple years of it, it's it's still coming, right? But. Um, we're sort of seeing the tail end of that where a lot of these um, litigation matters are being settled or finally uh, adjudicated. And these companies are coming out sort of re- recapitalized, reconstituted and and uh, leaner and meaner and, and more poised for success in my view.
0: No, absolutely. And I think that's funny. Um, you know, whenever I talk about Oregon, I always, you know, include that within the first year, we saw a lot happening within you know, applying for your license, getting the construction up and running, getting bottlenecked in the locality. And then at some point you might run out of money, you might go bankrupt, you might merge, acquire, you know, there was just so much, you know, you saw a capitalistic enterprise in one year, you really saw the benefits of that. And so, Um, it was just, it's, it's interesting. I'm not necessarily sure New York is going to be the same, um, given you can't really sell your license for three years. So it's going to be a little bit of a different situation, but I think the principles are the same and your point of tempering expectations is really important because, you know, money finding where it comes from, uh, understanding how much it'll be for real estate. You know, you can have up to three retail locations, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have three retail locations to start. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are putting so much bang for their buck into these applications or trying to prepare for it. And you're right. It's a lot of money on the table. There's a lot of family relationships. People are getting into business with friends and and coworkers. And um, it, there's other things that we can be doing to prep uh, expectations. So what would you say is some good advice for those who right now are just waiting for rules and regulations um, and are kind of Waiting to enter into the yeah. the space for for. I Mark. have a
1: lot of things I can say about that, but I wanted to address you know just sticking with this concept of um, normalizing and aligning expectations between you and your uh, new business partners. You um, without sounding like a plug for lawyers everywhere, um, probably the most important thing you could be doing is hammering out the terms of your organizational documents, right? You don't want to have a vague operating agreement, for example, or um, no shareholders agreement or no buy-sell agreement if you're a corporation um, and then wake up in six months and realize, oh, here's something we didn't address. Here's something we didn't think of. It never Mm -hmm. occurred to me that I might hate you. (laughs) Well, and this is something- (laughs) You're a terrible worker. Yeah, like- uh, oh, Oh, don't get me started. So many people. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll give you terrible. I'll give you five percent of my business, um, but you just you just show up and be like my master grower or work my computers. It turns out uh, you don't know how to grow and you don't know how to use a computer. So what do I do? Um, I, I, some some so really true. good advice is <laughs> avoid giving away equity in your business. For uh, for services rendered, uh, do what you can to come up with a way to pay cash for those services, because you know once mm-hmm. you are, once someone's in your company, they're in your company. I mean, unless there's clear pathway to get somebody out in the operating agreement or, like I said, a share shareholders agreement. So you know, right now, while everybody's sort of sitting around waiting for the regulations uh, to be, you know, dreamt up and published. Promulgated, I think, is technically the word. Um, it would be a, a good thing to do is to get to know your business partners and talk about, you know, some of these issues. I know it's always an uncomfortable situation to go into business and have a discussion about. Well, what do we do if this doesn't work out? But it's a very important decision uh, discussion to have before you're too far down the road, and that's probably going to be. Mm-hmm the best way to avoid that phase two litigation I was talking about that's going to come around in year years, three to five. Um, So you can be putting yourself in position to avoid that, which was a very common, common pitfall. Um, The other thing is, you know, to remember is the regulations are going to uh, steer this industry in ways that people don't maybe realized yet. And this is sort of a, um, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this, this is a shout out to both the industry participants and the regulators, right? For example, this is a highly regulated industry, probably more highly regulated than any industry that, that I've ever been in. Uh, and I was a securities attorney and an environmental attorney pre previous to this. So, um, one of the significant issues is, um, Like you mentioned, you run out of money, right? You need capital. Other businesses can get quick access to that capital. This type of business, at least in both Washington and California and in Oregon, you can't just go to the bank, for one, and you can't just call up your rich friend and say, I need a loan because everybody needs to be vetted. Um, This is one of the lessons that the regulators in Oregon and Washington have learned, and they have over the years eased the restrictions and made it easier for companies that need additional capital to get that capital from outside sources. Um, and so if I had to send a message to the regulators, it would be, please put in a mechanism that will allow companies to get financing in a, in a reasonably quick a reasonably short period of time the way other businesses can, because otherwise you're going to have a lot of failed businesses. Um, the other, the advice to the industry participants, which is the other side of that is make sure that you're adequately capitalized, that you don't want to be in a situation mm-hmm. where you need half a million to a million dollars, which I think everybody in Corp Fin knows is kind of a oddball amount to need. You know, it's too, too small. Too small oh, for right. the big guys, too so big small. for the little guys. Nobody wants to give you half a million dollars, um, but and, and and you need to get that in, in in a period of time quicker than six months, right? So the regulators should be thinking about this yep. and putting in a mechanism that's going to allow folks to to not have to fold up shop. Um, you know, remembering that until something changes on a federal level, uh, cannabis businesses cannot uh, avail itself of federal bankruptcy protection. So any.
0: What's interesting. I, I completely agree with you on the rules and regulations. You know, we get this, we get this question a lot, which is what should we be doing? What should we be doing? And honestly, I, I feel like a, a broken record but I I tell them I like we really have to wait for the rules and regulations especially in New York State with this qualification of becoming a social equity applicant sure you might right now fall under one of those five or six categories that would make you a social equity applicant but the rules and regulations are going to tell you whether or not there's income requirements whether there is you know uh, a certain percentage of of uh, dissent I mean there's gonna be all these different requirements on what happens as a social equity applicant and that's kind of the the, the real starting point for a lot of these applicants is, is, Hey, how should I structure it so that I qualify as social equity? Absolutely, and that's what we're seeing yeah. a lot right now. Um, so rules, yeah, the rules and regulations are just going to be so important and it's going to take time. They're going to change a lot. I mean, how many times do we see emergency mm-hmm. rules and regs out of Oregon change the rule yeah. from a month prior? Um, so we would have to go to those, you know, meetings over at the I, OLCC I, and, and sit in and see what yeah, they had I changed remember, that week. Um, remember um, a lot of uh, some, Strangely, I still get
1: sometimes we get calls from people who think that there is a residency requirement in Oregon, because if you remember, the Mm -hmm. first iteration of the rules had a residency requirement. And Mm -hmm. there was just a massive revolt about that, so much so that the legislature took it up immediately, passed emergency legislation removing it. So I mean, things are going to change so fast. Yep. And I agree, particularly with respect to these fundamental issues, like how do I structure my company? And you know, I don't envy the regulators with respect to social equity issues because, you know, they have to dance a fine line, right? You 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 want to you yep. want to craft rules that are going to be um, faithful to the concept and the legislature's intent, um, while also c- giving flexibility and avoiding, you know, the ability to have sort of a straw man situation. You know, we were just wrestling with that in this past legislative session in Oregon. There's an omnibus cannabis bill that includes the first social equity piece in Oregon cannabis. Um, and, and there was a lot of discussion, Mm -hmm. you know, about, well, how do we do exactly that? How do we prevent a straw man scenario? Um, while also making it fair, right? Uh and I think that's going to be a big yep. challenge. It's a big challenge. Um
0: Well, for Oregon too, you know, especially the early states that put adult use cannabis on the docket, no. they didn't have social equity provisions. So you're yeah. kind of working your way backwards, right? Colorado, Washington, even California, there wasn't anything in the initial round of legislation which I think does give New York a little bit of a more leg up. I mean, although we did mm-hmm. see that in Illinois, right? Illinois is supposed to be the gold standard for social equity. 15 months later, there wasn't one uh, person of color that was the majority leader in an operation. How so, you know, it's it's it really has to be, I don't know, it really has to be an initiative um, that takes place at the onset, but there's a lot of, you're totally right, there's a lot surrounding it. I do think, though, Oregon does it best with money, to apply, right? Like they really yes, encouraged yes. the legacy market to enter into it because they weren't asking where your money was coming from. And so I think that that's a really important quality for New York to encourage legacy market holders, especially when we're talking about things like, you know, there's already a huge infrastructure for delivery. You got to have to want those guys to switch over to adult use in order to capitalize on that, that business. But the legacy market's huge here. It's probably the largest I'd um, say in, in the New country. New York or in Oregon. Yes.
1: There's a, yeah, yeah. Or no, New York. Right. I'm talking
0: yeah. about Oregon. Did it right with the legacy, but New York should adopt that opinion because and, such and I, you such a large I have a market. lot of friends
1: who work in, um, you know, uh, uh, justice reform, criminal justice reform in New York City. Uh, still yep. to this day, I got to give a shout out to the prison to college pipeline run John Jay, and my my good friend Baz, uh founded that and heads that. There's this it's very important in my opinion to, uh to make sure that the the, the the communities that have been most uh, impacted, uh, you know, get to um, experience the benefits, you know, because, and I, you know, I think there was another article in the Times, New York Times this weekend about, you know, what do you do, you know, what happened? I think the article was, do you still go smoke at your favorite old weed smoking spot now that it's legal? <laughs> now you can smoke anywhere. Yeah. Um, it's a good question. But and in Oregon, I think, you know, racial dynamics aside, I think they were largely successful in uh, empowering those communities that were historically uh, black market communities and, you know, historically um, imprisoned for, for that, right? You were talking about the Medford, Grants Path, Jackson, Josephine County. Um that's still where the bulk of mm-hmm. certainly outdoor and mixed production occurs. Um, so, you know, I think following that kind of model, you know, they, the regulators in Oregon were very upfront. Uh, if you remember going to those meetings, at least they said straight up, we, we want to encourage the folks who have been in the in the illicit market. Uh, we want to encourage you to join the regulated and taxed market. And one of the ways they did that was this sort of don't ask, don't tell policy about some of the money, (laughs) right? Um, Right. Pre-existing business was what they told you to put on your application, right? (laughs) Pre-existing medical marijuana business. Yeah, (laughs) Which is funny because you couldn't have a medical marijuana business, those were
0: illegal, (laughs) right? Right. Right. You could be a patient caregiver, but that's about it. You know, um, I think New York kind of takes it a step further with the Community Reinvestment Fund, which Portland just started doing, right? They were taking that 3% tax and putting it into, you know, to grants to minorities to enter into the industry. And I think actually Jesse Horton was the one who was, yeah, that was, yeah, administering them. And you know, they're still starting small and I'm sure Dashita Dawson probably is is trying to help facilitate that a little bit more for the city of Portland to for this inclusion. They're definitely doing their their part. But I think part of the Marijuana Regulation Taxation Act that is more economic than anything else we've seen is forty percent going back to these communities who've been disproportionately right. impacted, giving these grants and and, you know, programs and waived applications and licenses is is definitely something that Right. Um, we haven't necessarily seen before. Um, I think we're going to see it more so as as things are legalized. But um, yeah, the social equity component is so critical. And I think uh, hopefully we just continue to get better I, at it. I think states, I remember when looking you know, move at, at forward.
1: other comparable regulations in New York, um, I still think there's an open question that the regulators are going to have to answer about what how do we define the level of community when we talk about impacts, right? We're talking about impacted communities. That means you have to draw boundaries. You have to, you have to draw lines around and you say, this is, this is how we define community. I don't know why, but I'm thinking about all of this voting rights stuff that we're seeing. Right. I mean, how do you, somebody has to draw. Yeah. Voting rights. This is the community mm-hmm. and the way you draw those lines will determine whether you are disproportionately impacted or not, right? I mean, particularly where where I grew up in Rockland County, there are pockets, you know, of disadvantaged communities around what you couldn't, no one would say is a disadvantaged community. So, I mean, you know, if you you draw those lines a half mile out, you know, you've completely changed the dynamics and you change the way you know you change the way that whole area looks so i think that's going to be a challenge um and i think a lot of attention should be paid to that by um you know by the social justice community um when they are uh, providing their comments uh the other thing i think to really look at is um vertical integration right i mean um the way the rules are ultimately Mm -hmm. crafted are going to impact you know, obviously, you can't fully vertically integrate, but in certain jurisdictions like Washington, um, they even prohibit contracts, certain types of contracts between um, you know different participants, right? So, I mean, like how uh, mm-hmm. how strong are they going to go against vertical integration by contract, essentially, right? I mean.
0: Well, so that indirect language is pretty vague. I think it's going to be lobbied pretty heavily, but they have, you know, listed out like you can't even be a landlord and and a licensee. Um, which is is pretty yeah. extreme in my opinion or even have stock. Think about this. Anybody who's who's right. has any stock on the Canadian exchange or you know even some of the few that are on, you know, weed maps and whatever, it, that's going to be problematic if it's if you're if these are license holders in New York state. So any of those MSOs that are coming into New York and you have, you know, public stock in them, that's yeah, going to be problematic for anybody who's, who's going on. Oh, it's going to, every time I talk to somebody, I go, if you want to hire a lobbyist, hire it for the fact that indirect interest is incredibly vague and we need a lot more definition to that. But Perry, we could talk for maybe another hundred hours, um, mostly because you're my bud, but also because you're so knowledgeable. Um, but we're going to wrap up episode 21, (laughs) Perry, thank you so much for tuning in and, uh, no, no, that's great. that's
1: great. We're doing we do quick episodes, on you know, last quick, quick to the point. It wasn't, there was all no right. video involved. That's how old I am, I guess.
0: I know. It's, it's a little, it's elusive. You're getting, you're getting <laughs> recorded. Right, we're, we're looking at you that. You can call hey. me Garrett. Um, all right. Thanks, dude. <laughs> Bye. Too. All right. The Cannabis Counselor Podcast is available on YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. Like, follow, share, and continue to listen. Thanks. Just so everyone knows, this material is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal advice or a legal opinion, and no attorney-client relationship has been established or is implied. Thanks for listening.